0: I pray all this in your name. Amen. As you get seated, I want to invite you to pull out a Bible with me and turn it to the book of Revelation. If you're new with us, I know I saw quite a few new faces uh, here tonight. I want to welcome you to what we call Impact. Uh, what we love to do Impact, we love to eat, we love to play games, and then we love to do what we just did, which is worship God and now, for about the next 30, 35, 40 minutes, we get to continue worship, to worship God by what we, we call reading His Word, studying His Word. And we've been doing that in the book of Revelation since August. Uh, so I want to welcome you if you are new to Impact. I also want to wish all of you a happy Valentine's Day. I want to congratulate Ms. Paige Pendergrass. She is our hardened student. Valentine, I want to apologize to Tate, who did about 100 push-ups. He came up short. He can't be crowned this year's hardened Students Valentine. Now, I've been thinking about Valentine's Day for some time now, obviously married, my wife's back there. You know, we don't make too big of a deal about Valentine's Day, but it's always good, right, to make that special someone in your life feel extra loved on Valentine's Day. And So it's had me thinking all week, you know, what's the greatest love story of all time? Like the greatest, maybe you have your opinion. Uh, one, of the, 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 one of the first things that came to mind, one of the first couples that came to my mind, I'll show you on the screen here, is Romeo and Juliet. Now, that's actually called the greatest love story in English literature. But if we just kind of stop, if you actually read Romeo and Juliet, you'll quickly realize it's not really a love story. It's, uh, it's kind of a tragedy, right? Because no one had to die. But both Romeo and Juliet lose their life for the sake of love. So that can't be it. So maybe the second picture here, maybe it's Gabrielle Montez and Troy Bolton. Uh, you know, that started, maybe so, like, that's a pretty good love story. But then I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know the rest of the story. But, I, you know, just, just high school relationships don't always tend to work out. So it could be the greatest love story of all time. But I need to, I need to know the rest of the story. So, maybe this one's fresh on my mind. I really think this could be it. It could be Taylor and Travis. (laughs) I'm just saying, look at the picture. They are madly in love. But if we're honest, you know, this might hurt your feelings a little bit. If we just give this a year, we're all gonna be listening to the greatest breakup song of all time. Okay? (laughs) Great love story. But not the greatest love story. None of those. None of those are the greatest love story. Not Romeo and Juliet. Not Gabrielle and not Troy. Not Taylor and Travis. I'll tell you the greatest love story. This is why you came tonight. The greatest love story, it's actually about a baby. And that baby grew up to become a prince. And that prince slayed a dragon to save his soon to be bride. That's the greatest love story of all time. Now, some of you're like, is this a fairy tale? Like what are you ta- are you talking about Shrek? Right? We're like Donkey and the Dragon. Like is this what you're No, no, no. What I'm talking about is a true story. And it's not just a true story. This greatest love story, what I want to show you tonight through God's word is it can be your story. You can actually enter into the greatest love story of all time because you see, that baby that grew up to become that prince, his name is Jesus. And that dragon that has been slain, his name is Satan. And that bride, that princess in the top of that castle, that's you, and that's me. Because you see, the greatest love story of all time, it's actually that age-old gospel story. The one about Jesus Christ, who is called the Prince of Peace, who kills the dragon to save you and me. And so tonight, in our text, we're going to get a fresh look at that story. And I love Revelation because it's going to tell the story in a very fresh way, in a very unique way. And so if you're new with us tonight, like I said, I think many of you... Or before we get going, before we read our text, what you need to know is that I believe Revelation is a symbolic book. Kind of a big word. All we're saying is that it uses symbols or it uses pictures to tell stories and to communicate truths. And so here tonight at Impact, we're going to read about a picture that's communicating one big story, one main points. And that main point and that main story is this. The cross of Christ has defeated the dragon. This is the main story of Revelation chapter 12 verses 7 through 12 that we're going to look at tonight. And I'm here to tell you, it is the greatest love story Ever told. So, with your scriptures open to the last book of your Bible, that's Revelation, the 12th chapter of that book, I want to read together verses 7 through 12, which says this Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. Verse 8 But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them to heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down and all of his angels with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this night where we get to worship you. And now we get to open your book that you have breathed out and we get to hear from you. God, I pray that the greatest love story ever told would penetrate our hearts tonight would stir up affections in our heart tonight. And if we haven't yet, we would enter into this love story. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, what we just read, it it may have sounded a little bit weird to you, but I'm calling it the greatest love story ever told. And there's really two parts, or we could say two pictures to that love story that we just read. First, there's this picture of a war. And second, there's this picture of a victory to that war. And so we're going to look at both of those pictures here tonight, but but first, you see it on the screen, we're going to look at the picture of the war, which I'm going to suggest what that is symbolizing, what that war is picturing is a picture of conflict. And we'll figure out who the conflict is between as we go along. So this picture is found in Revelation twelve seven. So just go ahead and look there with me one more time. The verse says, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. So there's this war. Now we have to ask immediately here, you know, what, what kind of war is this? Like, is this a real, a literal war? Or is this some kind of symbolic war? It shouldn't surprise you if you've been walking through Revelation with me. I think that this is a symbolic war. So I don't think it's a real war with guns and swords and combat. Instead, I think this is a symbolic war, meaning that there is a picture of war that is symbolizing or picturing something beyond just a war. Something else is going on, something bigger is going on, and we've already mentioned this is typical of Revelation, right? This is a symbolic book, not a literal book, a symbolic book, which of course you should remember that doesn't mean that what we're reading isn't true, it just means that these symbols, these pictures are communicating to us what is true. And so it's been this way through the first 11 chapters, right? And so when we get here to chapter 12, verse 7, we can expect the same thing to be going on. This is a symbolic war. And so what is this war symbolic of? Well, let's look at the picture again. We have, we have one angel. His name is Michael. He's called the archangel. And he, is, and he and his angels, Michael and his angels, are at war with a dragon, not a real dragon, we're going to see who that dragon is soon, but this dragon has his own angels and they're fighting against each other. They're making war against each other. So you can, you can take my word for it for now or you can just look down at verse 9 with me and you'll see that this dragon is not a real dragon, that dragon is symbolizing a character we've met a lot in Revelation, his name is Satan. So not not a real dragon, a symbolic dragon that is symbolizing Satan, and not a real war, a symbolic war that is symbolizing something bigger than itself. And so the picture or the symbol in verse seven is of Michael and his angels fighting the dragon and his angels. And if it's not a real war, what's this symbolizing? Well, I'll tell you. I think this war is symbolizing what I call the ongoing conflict between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. It's this ongoing conflict between these two kingdoms. Michael, the archangel, he represents God's kingdom. While Satan, the dragon, of course, represents his own kingdom. And maybe this is confusing to you, but you know, there's a really good chance that this verse we're reading, this type of language Revelation is using, it's actually common symbolic language that you and I use in everyday life. Let me, let me use an example. Think about the Super Bowl this past Sunday. Who watched the Super Bowl? Raise your hand if you watched the Super Bowl. Almost everybody. Maybe a few hands are down there. Almost everybody. Well, what if we were hanging out and I said, hey man, like, did you see the game on Sunday? Did you see Patrick Mahomes and his team go to war against the 49ers and their team? Did you see the war that took place on that football field? I mean, it was crazy. It was a war. But ultimately, you saw it right. Brock Purdy and his team were thrown down to the earth. They were thrown down on the field. They were left laying on the field. Would everyone in this room know exactly what I was saying? I didn't say hardly anything about football. I didn't say anything about touchdowns, anything about field goals. I used this picture of a war to communicate that the Chiefs and 49ers had a really tough game this past Sunday, but at the end of the game, the Chiefs won, and Brock Purdy and his team lost. So I'm using symbolic language, and I would... I would say that's the type of language that we use literally almost every single day, the symbol of war. Well, that exact same thing is happening in Revelation 12. There's this war going on, not between Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, but between Michael and a dragon. And that dragon has been laid out. He's been thrown down. He's laying on the field But it's not a real war, and it's not a real dragon, and it's not a real field. You know, a lot of you, I think when we read verse seven here, perhaps a lot of you, perhaps most of you, what comes to your mind is what you've been told growing up, me included. And that's that this war between Michael and and the dragon, it's like Satan's origin story, right? Like you've probably heard the story, He, he rebelled in heaven, and so what happened? Well, he and his angels went to a real war against Michael and his angels, and Satan lost that war, and so he was kicked out of heaven, he was thrown out of heaven onto the earth. That's what you grew up hearing. And I'm going to tell you here, based on what I'm reading in Revelation, I don't think that's what's happening, at least not in this verse. That's not what this verse is teaching. Instead, there is this symbolic war going on, and it's not actually between Michael and Satan. It's between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. And this is a war that continues to take place, not once, thousands and thousands of years ago, but it's an ongoing conflict, something that is taking place even right here tonight. You can look around, you don't see it, but there's a war going on. It's been happening ever since Genesis three and it's continuing to happen right here tonight. And so the question is, which kingdom are you fighting with? Which of these kingdoms are you going to war with? In other words, which of these kingdoms, God's kingdom or Satan's kingdom, do you belong to? We've already seen in Revelation And we also see it all throughout the Bible that if here tonight you are an unbeliever, which means you have not yet trusted in Christ, like it or not, know it or not, the Bible says that you belong to the kingdom of Satan. We can go back to Revelation 9 and we can recall that you're actually fighting on his side. You're going to war alongside him. Like you are on Team Dragon here tonight if you are an unbeliever. You are wearing his jersey. And you might not even know it. You know, Maddox, he's playing um, upward basketball. He's only three, he's playing in a three to seven year old division. It's chaos, absolute chaos. And this Saturday, he has his second game, and guess who he's playing? he's playing a team called the Dragons. And so it's the kangaroos, that's us, we're really good. And we're up against the Dragons. Now, if you're an unbeliever here tonight, you might not know it, but you're also on the Dragons. You're also on that team, not this cute little upward team that we'll play this Saturday. But this dragon team you're on, it's actually the devil's team. You are literally fighting on his side. It's a scary thought. However, if you're a believer here tonight, you're not on team dragon, but you've been given this new jersey. You've been given a new identity. You have been rescued from that team, from that dragon And from his kingdom, and you've been brought into another kingdom. You've been put on another team. And so, if you're a believer, that means that Jesus has brought you out of the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and he has brought you into his kingdom of light. That's what's happened if you are a believer in this room. And so, there's this war going on in verse seven, and it's going on right here tonight as we speak. And whether you know it or not, everyone in this room is actively involved in this war. And you're either on Satan's team, the dragon's, or you're on Christ's team. And so this is the first picture. It's this picture of war, and it's symbolizing the ongoing conflict between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom. But you know... Maybe that's helpful for us to realize this, to know that tonight. But just knowing that there's a war going on, it's only half the story. Even knowing who you're playing for, that's really only half the story. So to know the full story, what we got to do next is look at this second picture. So we go from a picture of the war to a picture of the victory to that war. And if a picture of the war was a picture of the conflict, what we're going to see next is that the picture of the victory is a picture of the cross. This picture immediately follows the first picture we just read in verse 7. So let's read together verses 7 and 8. Revelation 12, verse 7, this is the first picture. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now here's the second picture. But he, the dragon, was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And so, even though there's this symbolic war taking place, catch this this war, the scriptures say, has already been decided. Right, this game, this match, this battle that's playing out, it's already been decided. The second picture is a picture of the dragon being defeated. And so what's the symbolism there? Right? Well, what's that picture actually picturing? Well, follow along with me because if the war is this ongoing conflict between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom... And that war has been decided because that dragon has been thrown down, which represents Satan. What does it mean? Well, it means that the kingdom of God has already defeated the kingdom of Satan. Like, this has already happened. There's a war going on. There's a match being played. But that war, that match has already been decided. And Revelation 12.9 is going to give us more information on that decisive Victory, it says, and the great dragon was thrown down. It's a picture of defeat. He's laying flat on the field. He's been thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And so this dragon, we've already identified, it's Satan. And he and his angels have been thrown down, cast down, laid out on the earth. This is another symbol of his defeat, right? This is the dragon getting thrown out. My brother-in-law, his name is Ed. He's he's got me into a little bit of a bad habit. He's got me into watching WWE again. Does anybody watch WWE? Before I kind of make fun of it a little bit, good. Well, he, he had me watch this event. It's called the Royal Rumble. Anybody ever heard of the Royal Rumble? Here's the idea of the Royal Rumble, right? You got 30 guys in the ring. And the whole point of the Royal Rumble is you're trying to throw the other 29 guys out of the ring. And so the picture is you throw a guy out of the ring, and now he's laying flat on his back like he just had the hardest battle of his life outside of the ring. And while he's laying outside of the ring, guess what? There's still a match going on. But you've been thrown out, which means you didn't win that match. You lost that match. You've been thrown out. You lose. You don't get back in the match. The match is still going. The, the game's over. And this is the picture of verse 9, right? Satan's been, he's been thrown out of the ring. The match is still happening, but Satan has already lost that match. And so while he's flat on his back outside of the ring, someone else has been left standing in the ring. Someone else threw him out. Someone else is the winner. And who is that? Who's in the ring? Who who won this match? Well, the way some people read Revelation, you got to say it's Michael. Michael beat Satan. And so Michael threw him out of heaven. Michael's left in the ring. But the way I read Revelation is it's not Michael that defeated this dragon. It's not Michael that's left standing in the ring, but instead we're told who's left standing in that ring in verse number 10, which says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, don't miss this. Now, because because the dragon's been thrown out, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so there's this war taking place, but this war has been decided. This dragon has been defeated, but it's not Michael who is victorious. Did you catch who wins? It's Christ. Christ is the one who has threw the dragon out of the ring. Verse 10 says that now the kingdom of God, the authority of Christ, has come. So it's not Michael who has beaten Satan. It is Jesus Christ who has defeated Satan. He's the winner. He's victorious. And so what's the point That's being made, right? What's the the point here? Even though there's a war going on, the point is that the war's already been decided. Satan has lost the war. He's been thrown down. And Christ has won the war. And what's more, here tonight, if you belong to Christ, if you have his jersey on, if you've trusted in him, that means that you have won with him. That's the picture of verses 7 through 12. It's this picture of victory. It's a picture of Christ throwing Satan to the ground, Christ winning, his hand raising, Satan losing. But we're not done with this picture because now we need to know how Christ did this. How has Christ defeated the dragon? How did he do it? Where did he do it? When did he do it? And don't let me lose you. Because this point, this verse is the most important part of this text. This is the key to the whole passage and it comes in verse 11. Don't miss it. And they have conquered him. They have defeated the dragon, who, where, why? By the blood of the lamb. And so according to verse 11 here, there's this war that has been won because the dragons have been thrown down and now salvation has come, how? By the blood of the lamb. Students, do not miss this or you will miss the whole text. If the picture of war right here in verse 7 symbolizes this conflict between God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, then this picture of victory in verses eight through 11 is symbolizing the cross of Jesus Christ. I like just, just think about it. Where does the lamb shed his blood? What happened at the cross? Where did Christ win? It happened. Where at the cross? Where did Satan lose? It happened at the cross. And where does salvation come? It happens at the cross. And so this war against this dragon, it wasn't won by Michael in heaven. It was won where? By Jesus Christ at the cross. That is the entire point of this text. And this is the most important point in the entire Bible. What's the point of the Bible? The cross of Christ has defeated the dragon. That's what the Bible's about. That's what this text is about. There's this war going on, but it's been decided at the cross. Satan has lost, Jesus won, the church has been rescued, and it all happened at the cross, So, I just want to take the next next five minutes or so to make a very clear gospel presentation for, for all of us here tonight. As clear as I can possibly make it, I want to tell you very clearly what Jesus did for you at the cross. You see, for everyone who is not in Christ here, tonight, the Bible is clear, we've already seen this, you're not on Christ's team, but you're on the dragon's team. That means you have willingly rebelled against your creator, and we call that sin. And you continue to rebel against your creator every single day. We call that unrepentance. But follow me, because it's not just that you're a sinner, but it's this terrible reality that because you have rejected Jesus, the Bible says you've actually accepted Satan. And if you don't believe me, think back to Ephesians 2 that we read earlier. The Bible says that unbelievers are literally following, like you are chasing after, you are are walking in the footsteps of who? The prince of the power of the air that's Satan. Or we can just look right here in Revelation where there's multiple pictures of unbelievers actively making war against Christ and his church alongside Satan. So just think about that. If you're an unbeliever, this is is what you're doing. This is what you've done. And so as you can imagine, if you're going to be honest with yourself tonight, this sin of yours deserves a consequence. And the Bible says that that consequence is death, not a physical death, not only a physical death, but also a spiritual death, which all culminates in an eternal separation from the one who created you, for the one who bestows life upon you in a place called hell. This is what your sin deserves. This is what my sin deserves, and if nothing changes, if we don't swap jerseys, that's exactly what we'll get. Now, can we just be honest? This is extremely bad news. Like, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that tonight. I don't know how to deliver worse news than what I just delivered you, but you have to understand that bad news in order to hear the good news that I want to share with you next. Don't miss this because even though you're a sinner and even though you are rebelling against your creator, the Bible also says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. just, Just think about that. We have sinned against him. We have made war against him, and yet, what did he do? He dies for us. He lays his life down for you and for me. And here's how, here's how he does this. First, though he is God, he becomes a baby. He takes on the likeness of human Flesh, but instead of growing up and sinning like you and I have, Jesus remained perfect. Jesus never sinned, which means if the wages of sin is death, what is the wage? What do you get? What do you deserve if you've never sinned? Well, you deserve life. And Jesus deserved eternal life. But here's the best news in the entire world. Are you ready? Jesus did not take on human flesh to live a perfect life, show you it could be done, and then leave. Like, hey, showed you, Chase. I lived a perfect life. You didn't. You messed up. I didn't. I showed you. Like, I told you. I'm gone. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't leave. He lived a perfect life and then he died. Don't miss it. Jesus did not come to show you how not to sin. Instead, Jesus came to rescue you from your sin. That is you, that is me, that's every person in this room here tonight. Jesus Christ came to rescue us from our sin and to rescue us from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan who was holding us captive to that sin, who has locked us in the top of that tower. His name is Satan. Jesus came to free you from him. And so instead of living a perfect life and leaving, Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross. And on that cross, here's what he did. Here's what happened. As he died, he took every sin that you have ever committed, and he died. And in dying, what he was doing was literally taking your sin, putting it on himself, the consequences that you deserve, he took for you. He died. And so on that cross, even though you don't deserve it, Jesus loves you so much today and every day that he was willing to lay his life down in your place and for your sin. That is good news. And that is exactly what Revelation 12 is trying to communicate to you. The perfect lamb of God, Jesus, shed his own blood for you also that you could be forgiven from your sin and freed from the slavery that Satan has bounded you by. He has killed the dragon so that you could be saved. Salvation has come for you. The cross of Christ has defeated the dragon for who? Not just for me, not just for the person sitting next to you, but for you. And then guess what? Three days later, that same Jesus who died also rose for you. And in this resurrection, What that tells you, what that communicates to you is that what he did for you on that cross, taking your sin, that was acceptable to God, it is sufficient to atone for your every sin and to free you from that dragon. He has won for you. He is reigning for you. He has died for you. And so what's he doing right here tonight? He's at the top of the dragon. He's at the top of the castle he has slain the dragon, and he is knocking at your door. That's what's happening right here tonight. He is knocking, and when he knocks, Satan goes running because he knows Christ has won, and he cannot keep him from you so long as you open the door. This is the greatest love story you could ever hear. Jesus gave his life to save you. Whoa! This is good. There's a whole lot more we can say about this text. We can talk about the millennium. We can talk about the persecution of the church that comes in the next four verses. I don't want to talk about that tonight. What I want to focus on is the main point of the text. The cross of Christ has done what? Defeated the dragon. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible just told me so. He died on a cross in your place to rescue you. And so tonight, if you are here and you have not yet trusted in this Savior, you have not yet received this salvation, you cannot afford to walk out of these doors tonight without doing so. You can't afford it. And so that's going to lead us to our response. How do you and I respond to what we just heard? Well, first, if you're that unbeliever, look no further than this. Tonight, you got to trust in Jesus. Why? Because he has won. By his cross, he has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan, not just for me, but for you. Listen, if you have never trusted in Christ, you can't afford to waste another day. Your sin is great. But Jesus Christ is a great savior. And he wants to save you. You gotta trust in Jesus Open the door tonight. And so if you're an unbeliever, we're, we're about to sing a song of response. I'll call the band up here soon. But that song of response, here's how we want you to respond. We want you to trust in Jesus. Now you can do it then. You can even do it right now. But if you want to do it then, here's what's gonna happen. Me, Maggie, a couple others will be in the back. And while we sing, you just get up and you just walk to the back and say, I'm ready. I want to be rescued from this dragon. I want to be saved from my sin. I want to trust in Jesus and we'll sit down with you and we'll show you exactly what you do next. You trust in Jesus. But second, for my believers, we can't waste any more time here. The stakes are high. What do we got to do? I tell you this every week. We got to tell people about Jesus. We got to get fired up to start telling people the greatest love story of all time. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to wear on your chest, to take to your schools, take to your locker rooms, tell your family. I got a story. It is about Jesus. He's died to save you. Can I tell you about it? We got to wake up and start telling others about Jesus. Because here's the reality. Saved people? Here's what we do. We go to unsaved people and we tell them how to become a saved people. Evangelism isn't hard. You just got to go do it. And so as our band comes back up to lead us in that final song of worship, perhaps many of you tonight need to enter into this love story. You need to respond in faith to the gospel here tonight. You need to put your faith in Christ for the first time here tonight. You need to say, I trust in Jesus because I'm a great sinner, but he's a great savior. Jesus, save me now. And if you want to do that, I've told you what you do. You just go to the back during this song. Don't wait till after. Just first lyric, just hop up. Let's go. Let's do this thing. But believers, here's how we're going to respond during this song. We're going to sing about that day when death was arrested We're gonna sing about that day where Christ freed us from our sin. If that doesn't get you going a little bit, I don't know what to tell you. If you're not pumped tonight as a believer in Jesus Christ that you've been freed from that dragon, you've been unlocked from that castle, you have been rescued, then I don't know what to tell you. So tonight, believers, worship. Hands held high, arms stretched wide, let's sing about that day that we were free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. The cross of Christ has defeated the dragon. Let's respond to him tonight. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you because you are a great savior. God, would you rescue sinners here tonight? And would you encourage the church to start doing what the church does And telling the greatest love story of all time. It's in Christ's name we pray.